Welcome to another fun-filled weekend edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style. Along with Lakina McGee, which is she, I am Sydney Brown, which is me. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at CK80. Once again, at CK80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-A-0, S-I-D-K-I-D-A-0. You can follow me at Kina McGee on the Twitter and at Kina underscore McGee on the IG. You can follow this podcast, Second City Sports First, right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. Videos drop every Monday and Friday right here on YouTube. Once again, videos drop every Monday and Friday. You can listen to the audio version of this podcast that drops every Tuesday and Saturday at War on Anchor. Once again, every Tuesday and every Saturday, the audio version goes up at War on Anchor. You can find us on all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app. Type in those search engine boxes on your podcast platforms, W-A-R-R on Anchor. You can go to our website, weareregalradio.com for more details. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. There's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you very much in advance for your support. Like, share, subscribe, subscribe, and tell your friends. We are unapologetically fun, and we definitely have very definite opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Pardon my alderman, Fred C. Davidson. For those of you young folks that don't know who he is, Google him right here on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the series Good Times television show back in the 70s. You know what I'm talking about. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Lakina, <laughs> there's one team in town as so we kick off this uh, episode with uh, Chicago baseball. Let's go to the north side. Uh, there's one person that should have very definite opinions in this. Mm-hmm. Cubs general manager Jed Hoyer, he made his media rounds over the last 24 to 48 hours. We'll give you our thoughts on that on our next episode coming up on Tuesday as we hit the baseball all-star break. But as of this recording, Lakina, the Cubs are 43 and 45 losers, uh, 11 out of their last 12 games. They face the St. Louis Cardinals this weekend at Wrigley Field to wrap up the first half of the season. If you're listening to us on our audio version, uh, tonight's game will be the uh, national game of the week on Fox. Uh, uh, weather permitting, I think that game will uh, will. Well, the Cubs should play tonight. Yeah, so it's be- uh, Sunday's game is in question. We'll see about that. As that's an afternoon game. There's another scheduling change of involving uh, the Chicago Cubs. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, Lakina, uh, as as I, I we I said in the, in the last episode, uh, we took the holiday off. So we, we I said that around this time last week, the Cubs if they're between eight and 10 games out by the time we hit the all-star break for our next episode, the Cubs are in trouble right now. I believe they're eight and a half games back and, and they're playing the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. They're playing the Cardinals. Right yep. Right now. Yeah. Eight, eight and a half games back. If they can shave off a game or two, maybe they'll save their season and save face. But uh, general manager, Jared Hoy, as, as I just mentioned a moment ago, uh, he says he's listening to all offers right now. And, He's gone from a buyer to now being a potential seller. As we told you guys, this could come. Uh, the losing streak, uh, which was 11 in a row, 12 in a row, I believe it was. It couldn't have come at a worse time. But if, you, if you're Jed Hoyer, it, it couldn't have come at a better time because you have assets that you could trade off to help build your broad club for the future. As we said before, they need to rebuild their farm system. And if the Cubs continue to play like this, uh, they're going to get a head start on that before July 31st trade deadline. 
Yeah, I find it interesting. You know, what a difference a month makes, right? I mean, they were up by I think like two or three games, and you know, people are wondering, okay, you know, who can you get? You know, get get maybe get a Max Scherzer or getting you know somebody like that. But you know, unfortunately, they lost eleven in a row. They lost eleven, you know, eleven their last twelve, and. I, I just think you know, they're eight and a half up as of right now, and I kind of feel like, okay, it, it, it's just like you know, nine and a half, I should say now, but, you know, I, I just I just think that it's unfortunate that, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, you know, everything just started, you know, the, the bullpen started, you know, the wheels fell off, and then the hitting, they, they stopped hitting, and then the pitching, you know, Jake Arrieta, I think, you know, dare I say, may have to, D, you know, DFA him, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's another thing, you know, we didn't get the, you know, we knew that Cubs fans knew that they were going to get the same Jake Arrieta we saw from those, those World Series, you know, the NLCS, you know, the Jake Arrieta, but he's definitely a shell of himself that we was during those years, and it's just unfortunate that this is sort of like how it ends, like this era of the, of the Cubs. Now, again, you know, look, weird things that happen. Maybe they can shave off maybe two or three games with this weekend series, excuse me, against the Cardinals. Maybe they could probably you know, wait and see after the all-star break. Because I look, I don't look, I still think that division is still winnable. Like, I don't think the Brewers are, gonna, are world breeders. I don't think Sissy's going to be up there. So, but look, I think that business-wise, I think maybe Jed Hoyer feels that, if, you know, for the future, I guess, maybe start, maybe see who you can, you know, listen to the offer, see who you can get now. Could you get some top prospects for a hobby bias? You know, can you get somebody, you know, Get a top prospect, a couple of your top prospects for Chris Bryant, who's a little banged up right now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's another thing that Jed Hoyer has to think about. But so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't come to that. I mean, maybe in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe something different will happen. But I, I just don't, I just don't know at this point. You're listening to Sega City Sports Weekend Edition, along with Lakina McGee. I am Cindy Brown as we talk about the Chicago Cubs and their current troubles on the diamond, both on and off the field. Lakina, a, a couple other um, names that we should mention that could be potential trade pieces. Andrew Chafin, who's having a heck of a year out of the bullpen, and closer Craig Kimbrough. I think Craig Kimbrough first will be the first one to go. Should the Cubs continue this slide, he'll bring the most back. I know he'll pitch in the All-Star game next week representing the North Siders. But Andrew Chafin, he, he's a nice reliever to look at. I know, I'm sure a whole lot of teams, including the Chicago White Sox, who we get to in a minute, should be calling about him right now. At least yeah. what we'll, we'll take to uh, get him. Yeah, I think that that's going to be very interesting to see. You know, if you could know, Chafin, I think Chafin, I think, and Kimbrough, probably the two of your best that will probably get, you'll probably get the most from them. So I'm thinking that's mm-hmm. probably going to be, you know, let's get to you know, some of the top prospects. And I think that's going to be like the number million dollar question. So I'm sure that, look, Jed, look, this isn't Jed's first rodeo doing stuff like this. So I, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like worried about what he's going to do. I think he'll have his, you know, calls. I've heard that maybe the Red Sox may want Kimbrel back. You know, that that's another, like they talk about mm-hmm. that, right? I mean, you know, then I heard the Blue Jays and some other teams. So like, and also the White Sox for Chafin. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see what these, these next couple weeks are going to be very, after the All-Star break, especially, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does. And, you know, if by some miracle the, the Cubs do somehow get themselves back in it in a couple of weeks after the All-Star break, I mean, but that's going to be like another another thing. So who who knows? I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. And also, too, you take a look at Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. Uh, if one or both of those guys should go, will you get value for either one? Especially with Chris Bryant with the contract coming up. Uh, if you if your team X trying to trade for him, are you sure that he's going to resign with your team 
you're walking on trouble water right there. I know if you're the Cubs, you're gonna uh, you're gonna get as, as much back as you can, but are you gonna get equal value back for either one of those guys? That that's really the thousand dollar question right now. Well, I think that that is that is right. I mean, are you gonna get are you gonna mm-hmm. give your top prospect for a guy that you know it's gonna be a rental for the next two three months? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, if you're look, I think that that's going to be sort of the thing. Is he going to be able to, you know, Jed Hoare, I mean, is he going to be able to get like a, a top, you know, prospect for, a, a, you know, a, a guy that's going to, you know, that might leave. They'll probably leave like in a couple of months and, you know, they're mm-hmm. not, probably not going to be able to pay him that big contract. I'm sure he's going to be, but the very, well, his agent's got boards at the very least is going to be coveting. So yeah. That's a, you know, that's a whole nother issue. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. And also another name to bring up is Jack Peterson. He only signed here for one year for, I believe, $7 million. And uh, he could uh, attract some uh, contending teams uh, as far as potential uh, potential uh, player to be acquired at the trade deadline. He's a left-handed hitter. I know the White Sox were interested in him a few years ago. I'm not going to say we can't use him. It'll be great, but the Sox really don't need him. I'm sure there's a few other contingent teams that could use his services right now should the Cubs continue to slide. Well, yeah, that's probably another guy, but I think he doesn't want to leave. He actually likes it here, so we'll see mm-hmm. you know, if he does get moved. But, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like, okay, yeah, it's going to get – this will get to the point where by, like, mid you – know, we're going into mid-July, by after the All-Star break, we'll see what happens once – if they're not able to, you know, get back in the NL Central. So, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be very interesting. You know, he's, Jed Hoare is definitely in a pretty precarious spot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you don't want to see, like, okay, you know, hey, it's a free-for-all. It's a fire sale here. But then you don't want to say, you know what? That division is still kind of tricky. So, I don't, I don't know. Like, you're, you're kind of like, you know, Jed Hoare is sort of stuck in a, like a rock in a hard place, I think. Yeah, and each passing day, it, the clock is ticking to see what he does. And, and assuming that the slide continues and they can't get back on track, uh, these moves, that uh, potential moves that Jay Hoyer is, is hired to make, uh, this is going to set the tone for the Cubs organization for the next five years. And, and every move they, that he potentially makes, they, they have to become a hit because, as we said before, this farm system needs to be rebuilt and you need to still feel a competitive team. Can you do both? I'm not sure. We'll soon find out. But you had a crossroads right here, and I heard some people say that uh, that, that this current run it can be compared to the A5 Bears, that you should have won more than one World Series title. You could definitely make an argument about that, but especially in baseball, it's so hard just to win one title. That's in any sport, but definitely in baseball. It's a long grind, 162 games plus uh, three rounds of playoffs, division, uh, league Championship Series, World Series. Back in the day, Lakina, we were old enough to remember it was just the Championship Series and the World Series. Mm-hmm. We thought that was long enough, but it, it is now is not to be. But could the Cubs have won maybe another World Series? That was possible, but you know some of those guys got full of themselves. Of course, uh, the uh, the management got uh, sick of Joe Mann and his managing style, even though it helped him win the World Series. And, 2016, of course, the offensive struggles. We talked about this before. Lakina has been an ongoing problem for the last two or three years. But if you're a Cubs fan at the same time looking on the flip side, this has been the greatest era of Cubs baseball. 2015, when Joe Mann was brought in here, you made it to the playoffs, got swept in the NLCS by the New York Mets, who lost to the Worlds in the World Series in the next round. But 2016, you win it all. 
2017, get back to the NLCS before losing to the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. 2018, technically you were a playoff team, but you often struggled through the last month of that season. You lost the division to the Brewers in the last area of the regular season. You lost a wild card game to the Colorado Rockies. 2019, you had that big collapse starting on Labor Day, and it continued after that. You missed the playoffs entirely. Last year, in a shortened 60-game season, you won a division, but got swept in two quick games in that wild card series against the Miami Marlins. So uh, the ending is ugly, but if you're a Cubs fan, this is still – I'd rather take this than what has been happening over the past 100 years. Let's just take the fact since we've been alive, Lakina, 1984, 89. Mm -hmm. 98, 2003, and so 2007, was. 2008, before the Tribute Company sold yep. to the Ricketts family. You see where I'm going here? There's too many uh, years and gaps uh, between playoff appearances. Yeah, so I, I think you'll, you'll take this. If you're a Coast fan, you'll take this era you know, prior to the previous eras because there nothing, not a lot happened in those previous eras. So I, mm -hmm. I, just to, to compare them, to compare this, this, you know, this core to the, the Bears, I mean, Look, we can go into a whole tangent about it. We won't, but I mean, like you said, Sid, it's very. You, you play 162 games. It's hard to do that. I mean, you got like you said, Sid. You know, back in the day, you know, there was only like five game mm -hmm. series and such. So you didn't, you only, you didn't have to play. Like all you did was you had to play was a league championship series and the World Series. That's it. You didn't have to mm -hmm. be on the wild card or a divisional round or anything like that. So it's it's harder to do. It's it's hard to repeat in baseball. That's why it hasn't been. No one's done it since the Yankees. I mean. Mm -hmm. that's that's i think that's why people forget that that's why it's so hard to win the world series yeah. back to back so you know it's just it's just unfortunate that this is sort of like how it is i mean you'll take to the beginning you'll take the middle but you know you hope that this is at least we can get a fight from this core like okay let's, let's see if they have one more run in them i think you know some yeah some guys got full of themselves i think some guys just ran out of gas both mentally and physically so mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate that it happened like at this time and before we move on, taking a look at the Cubs' schedule, of course, after this weekend's series against the Cardinals at the friendly confines, this is the all-star break. Uh, this time next week, they'll face the Arizona Diamondbacks on the road for three. That should be a sweep. It should be a new uh, attitude. We'll see about that. And then you go to uh, St. Louis the following Monday for a big four-game series on the road. And then uh, Friday, July 23rd through the 25th, uh, Arizona will come calling to the friendly confines. And then, of course, the following Monday, July 26th, you have Cincinnati here for four games. So the schedule looks easy on paper, Lakina, but I think it comes down to this. How much fight does this team have left? And that's going to be the key. I think, like you said, to those those Arizona games should be winnable. The fact that, that they're, that's a team that's not very good. And mm -hmm. St. Louis, you can put them out of their misery too, that four game in between those series. So they've, they, like, they've got a chance to sort of at least gain some ground. So we'll we'll see. I mean – Look, I mean, their, their schedule, the, the second half schedule is actually not too bad for the most part. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can probably, if, if they're still mentally like, you know, focused and they're still ready for that fight, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but mm -hmm. it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough. We'll see. Yeah, I think you mentioned this, Lakina, but uh, one more piece of news about the North Sides before we move on. Uh, Jake Ari Arietta is currently on the 10 day uh, injured list with tightness <laughs> if there's such thing as tightness so uh he's not been released yet i know you mentioned that will they dfa him designate for assignment 
Uh, they still could do that, but at least Arietta would be on the shelf until at least this time next week. So uh, the Cubs could still do that, as we told you guys before the season started. Uh, you're not going to get 2016, 2017 Arietta anymore. Whatever he has left, that that's pretty much it. And we, we've seen that since the month of May where it's been a downslide. Absolutely. So we'll see. We'll see what they do with him. I mean, you're not going to be able to trade him. So you may have to just like, <laughs> DFA him. You might have to just full, full out release him. You listen to Second City Sports Zoom style along with Cindy Brown. I am Lakina McGee. Let's go to some happier news now. So let's go to the south side for a second. Double good news, I guess. They gained a couple of games since we last, we last reconvened. They are now seven and a half up on the Cleveland Indians. And also, too, they got some good news in the injury front. It looks like Eloy Menez might be on his way back. He's going to be starting his rehab assignment. He's been cleared to do um, baseball activities. So he's going to start his rehab assignment in a couple of weeks. He might be back as early as maybe late July, early August. So he, he put he put on there, I guess, I love Michael Jordan, but he tweeted out because it's 2021. He, he tweeted out, I'm back. So, Sid, what what – Let's say you. As we told you guys for the last couple of weeks on this show, if everything goes according to plan, Eloy Jimenez should be back before around the trade deadline, which is July 31st, which is still three weeks away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may be back by the time the trade deadline is over. That's August 1st, August 3rd, somewhere around in there. Looking at that white side schedule, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier yesterday morning, and this person talked about uh, when could Eloy return, of course, during that weekend of July 29th, July 30th through August 1st, uh, the Sox will play the Cleveland Indians here in Chicago. Of course, will GM Rick Hahn be in that box at uh, Sox Park? We shall see. Of course, uh, the trade deadline will be up by the time that game is played. I'm talking about going on the 31st at 6 p.m. against the Indians. Hopefully I'll be there. But <laughs> but uh, could Eloy Jimenez return during that series, or could they wait till after that series because that Monday – August 2nd, they have an off day, and of course, they started a three-game series against Kansas City before traveling to Wrigley to play the Cubs that following weekend. Could Elon Jimenez make his debut against the Cubs that following weekend? It's possible, but this person said that they could. he could make his debut, talking about Eloy, make his debut that Tuesday, uh, the, the third, against the Kansas City Royals. Here's why, because you could give him a couple of games at DH, you may throw him a game out there in left field, which I'm not suggesting that at all, nor should the White Sox. But you can get Eloy Jimenez comfortable in there to get some swings at the major league level, of course, because uh, during that following weekend when they played the Cubs for for three games at Wrigley, there's no DH because it's a National League ballpark. So mm-hmm. uh, assuming that Eloy does not play the field, which I don't see that happening. Hopefully he doesn't. He'll be sitting on the bench. He'll be playing a pinch-hitting role. So – uh, is is good news for the Sox for the Sox on the South side as far as uh, Eloy is concerned. Luis Roberts should be back by mid August and then not late August. And right now, if you're recon, you you're fielding calls about uh, who you, who you should go get. I know Brian Goodwin has been doing well so far, uh, filling in in the outfield. I know uh, rookie Gavin Sheets has been a stud over this last week and a half or so. Of course. We, we will be ignoring the big elephant in the room. Adam Eaton was not getting the job done. He was DFA'd before uh, not Wednesday's. Uh, I'm not surprised not either. Not surprised at all. Uh, he was DFA'd before Wednesday's uh, game against the Minnesota Twins. So uh, you have some options if you're Rick Hahn, and you'll have some 
good problems if you're Tony LaRusso once Eloy gets back by the time at the end of this month or, or, or perhaps August 1st or 3rd. And so you have some you have some depth there. You have some, actually some good problems. As we said before, Lakeen, let's give General Manager Rickon credit about having uh, depth on this roster because they had injuries up and down this roster all year long. And Yasmani Grandal, who injured, uh, who was injured uh, in Monday's game uh, in the loss at Minnesota, he'll be out four to six weeks. He should be back by uh, at least the, the middle of August. So he, he's going to be fine. Thing goes, he's not lost for the year. But Lakina, here's the thing: if you're the White Sox with Eloy Jimenez, I know he 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 he, uh, he was quoted as saying that he doesn't want to play DH, but he's going to do whatever. It takes to help his team win. <clears throat> Hopefully he does that because if I see him out there in left field one more time, unless someone gets hurt, it's going to be disastrous. Remember last year I talked about it on the show. I love his attitude. I love his youthfulness. You know, I know you, you always re- referred to him being caught up in the net a couple of years ago. I believe it was against the I've, I've, uh, it happened a couple of times. I know once last year for sure, oh. but you know he got caught up in the in the net up there left field a couple of times. I know he made all the blooper reels and all that, but mm-hmm. uh, there's times that that just that's just not so funny. Mm-mm. And I know that Luis Robert made a couple of catches. Uh, he stood in, uh, behind him last year and kind of laughed it off. But there's there's times to have fun and then there's times to get serious. And I'm not, and I said this before, I'm not suggesting that Eloy Jimenez is a cancer or anything like that. Let me repeat again. I'm not saying he's not a cancer. He's not a problem child. That's not what I'm saying here. But uh, there, there's a time and place for everything. And and you can see, Lakina, can the White Sox use Eloy Jimenez bat? Yes, they can. <clears throat> but hopefully Eloy has realized that this team, especially with the manager and totally Russa, this team can win. Without you, they have 51 wins as, as of this recording. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Sox have 51 wins without Eloy Jimenez. Okay. And if he does this again, <clears throat> there's going to be trouble. Someone's there to replace you. So hopefully there's some maturity that took, that has been taking place when, um, during this time of being injured. Well, I've said this before. I mean, like, I want Eloy to DH. Like, there's a reason why... <laughs> You know, we've been saying that he should DH. Look what happened. Look why he's been out for so long, why he hasn't even played a regular season game, because he crashed. Like, I don't want to get to a point where I don't want to have to be an adventure with Eloy. Yes, it's funny, but, you know, look what happened. So I know he said he's 200% healthy, and, you know, you know how, you know how he is. But I, I just think that, look, if you have to DH him, DH him. I would prefer you do. I know he does. he's not a fan of that, but – for his own safety and for everyone's sanity, I think you do have to DH him. And look, I, I think that it's gotten to the point where, you know, you look, you got a lot of depth now. You can move guys around. And I just think that for the betterment of the team, especially if you're trying to com- compete, you know, for the next two or three years, and for the health of your star, one of your stars, you're going to have to DH this guy. And look, you want, look if you want to put him out in the field from time to time, look, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, mm-hmm. For everything I just mentioned, if you want to, you know, preserve your future, you put him in the DH spot. And also, too, Andrew Vaughn, as we talked about Lakina um, um, during the season, of course, he was drafted to be the replacement of Jose Abreu eventually if Andrew Vaughn is not traded by the deadline. That's probably what's going to end up happening anyway. But Andrew Vaughn's been doing a fine job, a, a slightly above average job in left field. 
That's all we asked for. Remember, he asked that from Eloy before he injured himself silly in spring training. Andrew Vaughn, Vaughn, as far as his performance on the field, it has been above average, and I, and I commend him for it. And, uh, with a rookie stepping in at a moment's notice, at last-minute um, notice, and he's done well in the outfield. Now, his bat still needs some work on, but he's been okay uh, w- with the bat. But he's a rookie. He's still going to take him some time. I still like his future on the south side, so many he's not traded on July 31st. The reason why I bring that up is because with if you're Rick Hahn, we mentioned uh, that reliever earlier from the Chicago Cubs. Of course, you have a rumor of uh, Escobar from Arizona. Of course, Adam Frazier from uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who we will watch in the All-Star game coming up on uh, next week on Tuesday. But if, but uh, Andrew Vaughn, who depends on who the uh, players are, uh, if Rick Hahn decides to go after him, he may be part of a deal. Now, as I've said on this show for the last few weeks, the, this team needs, uh, I think that big bag will come, obviously, with Eloy Jimenez re- uh, will return in the next few weeks here, assuming that everything goes on schedule down the minor leagues. But I think Eloy Jimenez may be that big bag that the Sox would have required if Eloy wasn't coming back this year. But, you know, you could still add a backup second baseman. We know Nick Madrigal will return next year. But this number one thing that the White Sox need right now is a veteran bullpen help. And Rick Hahn, I think, realizes that. Will he get that veteran guy to help out in that bullpen? That remains to be seen. It wouldn't hurt to add another bat, but they still need bullpen help. Yeah, you've got enough bats, though, for the White Sox. I mean, you've got Mm -hmm. a lot of depth when it comes to batting. That's not the problem, but... You know, your, your middle relief, especially, you know, tends to still get, you know, give up a run a run or two from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I would think I would rather, you know, they go, he go after, you know, Rick Hahn, I mean, go after a, a, a middle relief, a bullpen guy to sort of eat up innings, you know, in between. So I would think that maybe perhaps try to, you know, get that bullpen help. I mean, I don't know who's out there right now as of this, as of this <laughs> moment, but I think, look, I, look, I think, look, once you get Eloy back, once Robert's back, I think you'll have the bat. Now, look, it's always great to, you can never have too many bats, I guess, but I guess, but also to you need, Pitching is really – if you really want to try to win the World Series, pitching will mm-hmm. – you know, is the key than anything else. So I think – And that's why I said uh, no, their number one uh, item on the list should be bullpen help. Yeah, and I think that's going to be like who, who's out there, though. But we'll, we'll see. But I'm sure there are some names out there. But, yeah, I mean, look, I think the middle relief is really going to be what's going to separate this team if you want to get to that next level in the AL, if you want to compete with Tampa, <laughs> if you want to compete with Houston – you know, that's really what you need. You know, the, you need that extra bullpen arm. You're listening to Second City Sports Weekend Edition along with Lakina McGee. I'm Cindy Brown as we talk about the White Sox and the rest of Major League Baseball. Lakina, uh, the White Sox, uh, they're up, I believe, eight and a half games of this re- as of this recording. They're playing the Baltimore Orioles on the road as we speak. That should be a sweep <laughs> by the time we commence here next week. But they lost two out of three to the Tigers last weekend, but they pick up a couple of games winning two out of three at Minnesota against the Twins. Of course, the Cleveland Indians as we trans- transition over to the rest of Major League Baseball. Cleveland got swept in a doubleheader on Wednesday, including a seven-inning uh, team combined no-hitter for by the Tampa Bay Rays. Lakina, including um, their no-hitter in Madison Baumgarten's no-hitter, seven-inning no-hitter at Atlanta early in the season. That's nine no-hitters for Major League Baseball, correct? Yeah, that's nine. That is number nine. <laughs> All right. We are, counting, we are counting that no-hitter, though, because, yes, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was part of a doubleheader. It was only seven days. No, no, no. That was a full game. 
You know, we pitched the old scoreless. Sorry, that's no hitter. That's nine. And we're sticking to that. <laughs> we, are. we are. Congrats to him, though, because he, he's, had, he's had his struggles over the years. So to have that no hitter, yes, we're counting that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's actually had some, you know, he's been, he's been up and down. But I think, you know, I was happy for him. And, yes, we're counting that as no hitters. You know, so, yes, we are. <laughs> Yeah, so with Cleveland's recent struggles and the White Sox picking up two games uh, at Minnesota, they won the, uh, uh, of course, losing two out of three to Detroit. They won the last two games in the Minnesota series. Mm -hmm. uh, Lance Lynn pitched his heart out uh, on Wednesday. The Sox are able to were able to build up on this uh, big lead uh, against the Cleveland Indians. As we told you guys before the season started, uh, Kansas Kansas City, there I think they're where the White Sox were a couple years ago. But they don't have enough to compete right now. And I know they had a, a slight lead in the division going into the month of May, but that's when the Sox turned it on and Kansas City went down the tank. Uh, Detroit is Detroit. They stink. Uh, Cleveland, as we said, they'll be competitive uh, with with their manager, Terry Francona, but they don't have the funds to to uh, compete. And so they're trying to rebuild and be competitive on the fly. And so – Cleveland still hanging in there, but I think the Sox will win this division. I'm, am I calling in a wrap? No, but you you can kind of get that feeling right now if, if if you're a White Sox fan. Now going on to the rest of baseball, Lakina, uh, I give you a couple of, couple of I'm not gonna say uh, shocking moments, but here's one shocking moment: uh, the Dodgers losing two out of three in, in Miami against the Marlins. Was it the weather? Was it a vacation? Were they looking forward mm. to the break? Is it a, a, a um, we got to bring up the elef big elephant in the room because it's big news. It's the Trevor Bauer situation. For those of you that don't know, uh, he's been on administrative leave because of the alleged sexual assault that took place earlier this season off the field. And as of this recording, he's been uh, given a seven another seven-day uh, suspension by Major League Baseball. He's on administrative leave, so... We'll see what happens with that. But, Lakina, quickly on the Trevor Bauer situation, do you expect him to pitch again this year? It doesn't look that way. As of right now, I don't see him pitching again this year. We're not saying that he's guilty because he hasn't been charged or anything like that. But uh, this does not look good right now if you're Mr. Bauer in the Dodgers organization. Well, yeah, I mean, all his, all his, um, I guess, like, you know, his, his, his gear, I think his jersey has been pulled from the MLB website mm -hmm. and, you know, some of his, his hats and stuff. They were supposed to have bobblehead day when they got back from their, their road trip, you know, because they were finishing, you know, the first half at home and that's not, mm -hmm. and, you know, that, that, you know, that, that's not happening. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think it does look good for him right now. All I'm going to say is, is that, look, if he is, you know, is, if he's guilty, throw the book at him. If he's innocent, you know, he should be able to pitch again. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't, I don't like, I don't like, look, I don't like going into these legal things. So, like, I'm just going to, you know, mm -hmm. like, let's just move on and, you know, and, and you know, whatever happens, happens. We just got to play it by ear. We'll keep you guys updated. Also, to another thing that's, that uh, took my eye uh, around baseball this week, uh, Oakland got the last game of their series against Houston. I thought they would be more competitive, but, Houston continues to be that team right now. They still lead the AL West. I still am a believer in Oakland, but Oakland's got to get over this hump. They kind of did last year, taking advantage of Houston's uh, struggles throughout that shortened season. But right now, they're not looking good. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, mean, I think Houston. I had them as the AL West division winner. For those of you who don't know, but uh, yeah, well, yeah, know, but, right I mean, now they're still, in the middle of struggle. Yeah, I mean, it's still very early. They're going to be playing. They're going to be playing a lot in the second half of the season if you look at their schedule. So I think this 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 division is not over with. I think Houston. You know, I think Houston kind of like feels like they have a lot to prove. So I think that's why, you know, they kind of like, you know, they got a little extra pep in their step. I mean, you know, you thought that maybe those games would be a little more competitive. They weren't, unfortunately, but, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know they got, you know, you know, Houston got the best of it. And, and look, I think that these two are probably going to be battling out. I don't think, I, I don't think it's over with by any means. I think they're always going to be, still going to be pretty competitive. Also, too, the Atlanta Braves took care of the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates when in that series, uh, as we talked about before, Lakina, as of this recording, they're still a couple of games uh, below 500. It's between them, the Washington Nationals, um, to uh, chase down the New York Mets, who uh, battled, they had their struggles against the Brewers earlier this week. Uh, who wants to win the NL East? <laughs> as we said before, the Mets, they're okay, but they're not great. If it wasn't with Jacob DeGrom, they wouldn't be there. <laughs> you know, I don't hate the Mets, but it's like, okay, they don't scare me. They don't. Yeah, I mean, that, that division reminds me of the NL Central, honestly. I mean, only it's a little more, you yeah. know, competitive. But, yeah, I don't think – no. it seems like nobody wants to win. And it's an air cross from me. <laughs> it's, it's like a hot potato, right? Like, nobody, like, okay, do you want yeah. to win? No, the Mets, no, no. The Phillies want to win? No, no, no. The Nationals, you know, they've, they've, you know, they've caught up, you know. It's just, you know, Atlanta, you, th- you just thought that maybe Atlanta would get together, but then they lose a couple, and they're, like, right back to where they started. Mm-hmm. But also, shout out to, Ch- to Chicka DeGrom. You know, he recorded his – 1500 strikeout earlier this week, and you know that's you reached that milestone in just 198 games, passing Randy Johnson, who did in 206 for the second fastest in MLB mm-hmm. history. Only you Darvish has, has done it faster, so that that's that's pretty cool. But he's actually he's not actually not going to pitch. He also he's going to take the time off to spend time with his family and rest up, which is probably a very smart by him. Look, as for the division, I don't look, I think everybody on that, you know, except for, well, maybe except for the Marlins and the division still, you know, is still, you know, con, you know, in contention. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of moves that these four teams make, because it's, it's going to probably, they're all going to be playing each other too in the second half of the season. So it's all going to come down to the wire. Also too, the St. Louis Cardinals, they took two out of three on the road uh, against the, uh, San Francisco Giants, as we mentioned, they are battling the Cubs here this weekend at Wrigley Field as we speak. And so the Cardinals are trying to get back into it. Uh, on the flip side for the San Francisco Giants, can they still win a division? Yes, I'm not convinced, but they'll definitely be around the wild card race. It's going to be interesting to see, as I said in our last episode, what management does to help boost that squad around the trade deadline. Yeah, that should be interesting too. And also too, Boston lost you know, two out of three to the Angels mm-hmm. um, early this week. And and look, I think that they're two and a half up as of right now on the Rays. And we'll see what they do during the trade deadline because it, it looks like it's probably going to be between the Ra- the Rays and the Red Sox for the AL East. Yeah. I don't think anybody thought that that would be the case earlier this year. So the Yankees, pff, you know, they might be still one of the <laughs> sellers in the off, you know, you know, in the trade deadline. And Toronto, I mean. Hopefully they'll be able to come back. They have decided to get as of right now, they're going to be able to come back to Toronto and play their home games there. So I think that's still playing a part of their struggles, but you know, they could, they may have a say on who wins that division too. So we'll see. Real quick, Lakina, before we move on, going back to the Yankees. So, and there's been some small talk of, do you even entertain the fact of trading Aaron judge? Would you do that? Uh, 
not if you want anarchy in the Bronx. Like if you want, like you know, to go like haywire. Like the guy would, I would advise not. I mean, you could, yeah, you could probably get a top prospect. I mean, you know, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure the Dodgers would love to have him. I'm sure they're not going to trade him within their division or even within the AL. So hey, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe the Dodgers might want him. Maybe the Giants. Maybe the one of the teams in the AL East. You know, other than the Marlins. Um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> You'll probably get a top. Probably, I'm sure they're going to want a top prospect back. So, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you know it's probably going to be. I don't think there might. I don't want to say riots because I don't want to use that term. But it might yeah. be some interesting. It'll get interesting in the Bronx, no doubts. Yeah, I, I just can't see that happening. But then again, you never know. You never know. Also, closer. Um, uh, Roldis Chapman has had his struggles. I know he pitched the other day in Seattle in a blowout victory. It looks like he's they're trying to get his confidence back. Will he be on the trading block? Maybe, but, you know, given his recent struggles, no. But you still have a couple of weeks before the trade deadline, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, going over to the National League, as you mentioned, Lakina, uh, the Dodgers, uh, I, I'm not still convinced they're going to win that division. Of course, we mentioned the Trevor Bauer distractions. Uh, San Diego, they had that battle with the Nationals earlier this week. I, I still believe in them. Of course, the Central is the NL Central, the NLEs. We talked about those. I'm not going to waste my time with that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably smart. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting with the Giants. Can the Giants keep up? I mean, that's going to be the mm-hmm. thing. Like, we, we thought that maybe the Giants would probably fade. They haven't yet, but they've had a lot of injuries. So, could that be the case by the time, you know, we all, the offer commences? But, you know, the Dodgers, I mean, I, look, there might be a whole lot of things. They have, they're having some injury issues, too, still. So, I don't know. Like, maybe it could be a whole combination of things, injuries, the Trevor Bauer, you know, legal mm-hmm. issues and such. So, who knows? And San Diego, like, just kick it out of their own way. I mean, they're, they're, they think that maybe they're trying to, like, you know, get back. But then they, you know, then they have that, you know, then they have that, that series with the Nationals. So, it's yeah. just, like, you just don't know. Like, I think like, that, that NOS is going to be very – that that NL West, I think the AL East is going to be very interesting divisions going into, and the NL East too also too going into the All Star break. Last note on baseball before we move on. Uh, here's the series that's going on this weekend. Uh, besides our Chicago teams, of course, the Cardinals and Cubs, White Sox, Orioles, Atlanta, and Miami to take on the Marlins. Uh, Atlanta has had their struggles against Florida, not Florida, uh, Miami this year. Uh, Kansas City will go to Cleveland to take on the Indians, uh, the Phillies, and the Red Sox from. Fenway Park <laughs> of the Pirates will take on the New York Mets. Uh, the Blue Jays, as you mentioned, Lakina will take on Tampa Bay. That should be an interesting series. Uh, Oakland and Texas are, are battling in Globe Life Field. Cincinnati at Milwaukee. The Tigers at the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees at the Astros. That'll be the headlight game for you, those of you across the country tonight on Fox. Those of you listening on our audio version. Of course, the Washington Nationals will play the the San Francisco Giants, I should say. Anaheim's at Seattle. Arizona's at the Dodgers. And, of course, Colorado and the Padres. Those are the series that will take place right before the All-Star break. Should be a lot of fun, especially the the Toronto-Tampa one. They've had their battles, too, earlier this year. So Mm it should be very interesting. You're listening to Sega City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. As we have a couple minutes left bef- uh, in this segment, Lakina, you want to mention some words about the late Terry Donahue. I, I did read something about this earlier this week, and, uh, and I was obviously shocked by the news. I uh, wanted to tell our audience about it. 
Yeah, he's the winningest coach in Pac-8 slash Pac-10 slash Pac-12 now. I just want to keep make sure keep that straight. Tell Nari he just <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. Um, he had a two-year battle with cancer. He passed away late last weekend on Sunday. You know, surrounded by his family. He was only seventy-seven, and I think the one of the, the one of the great things about him was that he. You know, he, he bled, you know, powder blue and gold, right? The UCLA Bruins. I mean, you know, he went there after going, he went there, you know, he went to the Rose Bowl. It was actually, it was actually the UCLA's first trip to the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. back in 1965. And, you know, they upset Michigan and they were, Michigan State, I should say, remember with Bubba Smith and them, you know, they were number one, Michigan mm-hmm. State was. And, you know, he, he went on to be the assistant coach for Pep, Pepper Rogers and Dick Vermeil, And then Vermeil left to go to the NFL you know, mm-hmm. Donahue took over. He was only 31 when he took over. People forget forget about that. You know, he was only 31, you know, in this 1976. You know, he became the first, you know, guy to take, you know, his, you know, go to Rose Bowl as a player and assistant coach and a head coach at UCLA as alma mater, which is just, you know, amazing. He had 151 and 74 and 8 record with the school. He had, you know, won five conference titles in 82, 83, 85, 87, 93. Um, he finished mm-hmm. the top, you know, he went to the Rolls, you know, he went to, he, he won three Rolls Bowls in 83 and 84 and 86, you know, during his tenure, um, you know, and also won, you know, the 85, actually went to seven, you know, seven consecutive, you know, had seven consecutive wins in, in bowl games, you know, with the Rolls and the Fiesta in 85 and also 86, the, the free, the now fruit, the funk freedom bowl, that's not, that's not existed anymore. The 87, the Aloha Bowl and the Cotton Bowl too in 89. So, and, and, you know, he coached guys like Troy Aikman, Kenny Easley, Don Ogden, three of them Hall of Famers. And, you know, just, you know, he just, he saved the program. He went to San Francisco for a little bit, you know, to finish up his career with, you know, with the 49ers, working with their front office. Does He did some TV for a few years and, you know, he helped kind of shape UCLA to kind of be like that top tier team, like in the 70s and 80s into the early 90s. You know, he and UC, USC had their battles, also US, UCLA and Washington and such. This was before the Oregon schools, you know, you know, came into play. And, you know, just that I, look, I know a lot of UCLA fans would love to go back to those days when he was there. And he had like this natural charisma about him, you know, when he, you know, very, very good looking, you know, very like a California guy and just, you know, just a great, you know, just a great coach and a great guy. And the, I, I heard um, some comments, you know, from some of his former players. I think, I think I heard some comments from Randy Cross, who he, 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 he coached. Got, Friend of the show. Yeah, we got to get him back on to share some stories because he shared some good stories about how he actually ended up, down, he actually ended up recruiting him. So we got to mm-hmm. get, get him back to do that. So it's just, you know, just a, a, another great loss. We've also, we've lost some great college coaches for football and basketball in the last few years. And he was another one. And, you know, just thought I, I would say that, you know, just kind of like a thoughts of prayers to his wife and his daughters and the, you know, the, you know, and the grandkids. It's just, you know, just very tough. And 77 is so young too. So but our thoughts yeah. of prayers to him and, you know, just a, just a really, you know, another great loss for in college sports and for free for the UCLA community, especially. Yeah, so as we mentioned before, peace and love to his uh, fan, uh, the Terry Donahue family from all of us here at Second City Sports and War Media. Lakina, one last thing before we uh, close this segment out. Congratulations to the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. They defeated the Montreal Canadiens at home in Game 5. 
uh, the other night, one to nothing to take their series in five games. Of course, it was the uh, also it was a closing chapter for the NHL on NBC. For those of you that do not get NBC and don't worry, the, the channel for you will go away at the end of the year. But you can go to that Twitter pages and their Facebook pages. Doc Gamer gave a great 13 and yes. a half minute tribute following the game. Uh, of course, Eddie Olchek and Kenny Albert, they'll be the number one team on TNT uh, starting next season in the fall. Uh, they gave their tributes uh, following the game as well. So uh, I almost had a couple of tears in my eyes. <laughs> we talked about it last week with our girl Rachel Kopchak, host of the co-host of the House of Hockey Podcast. Uh, it, it was a, a great 16 years for NBC, but I'm really looking forward to how ESPN and, and Turner Sports cover the NHL starting in the fall. First yeah. of all, like I said, I mentioned, congratulations to Tampa Bay Lightning. They're the first team since the 2016-2017 Penguins to win back-to-back Stanley Cups in this salary cap era. So yeah, congratulations also, to them. Head coach John Cooper, Andre Valesky was the series MVP, Steven Stamkos. Deservedly so, I think. He's, yeah, he, so he congratulations to the entire organization. Yeah, just an amazing feat. I mean, Tamp- I guess Tampa Bay to call them title town, I guess, because they've done very well. I mean, they were the yeah. with the Bucks winning the Super Bowl this past Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and also to um, also to the Rays getting to the World Series. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think look, this is just as far as far as the NBC is concerned. I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see what what they do because they're gonna have a lot of you know, holes in their programming with, you know, with the NHL no longer being there. And of course, mm-hmm. like you said, Sid, unfortunately with NBC, NBC said now going away, you know, I, I just think that mm-hmm. let me just see what, the, what they do here. And I mean, I hope, can we get Patrick Sharp into somebody's television? Can someone, can one of these, one of these networks slide He may do some work for, uh, for uh, uh, watching sports now, Hockey Night in Canada. That's still a possibility if he's not brought back here locally. Which he should. I mean, that's a whole yeah. other that's a whole other thing. There was a, there was a guy who won uh, three in a row. He won three in a row. I forgot his name. Shoot, uh, for the light, I forgot his name. But uh, you know, he's won three in a row now. But uh, uh, yeah, I think that this is. Look, it's gonna be interesting to see what they what you know Turner and, and ESPN. They seem like they're very invested in this, and I I I want to see how they do this because I want to make sure they bring back the original theme for the for ESPN NHL. So. <laughs> we please talked about that last that. week with Rachel. Yeah, yeah please. Even if it's just for back. one year, bring it back. Yeah, it's, it's just for a year as you're composing another music. So mm-hmm. I really want that. And look, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do because I think look, we've seen we saw we, ESPN of course announced their roster. I'm sure Turner's still you know finalizing their their NHL roster. But yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see what what both these you know what both these uh, networks do with their hockey coverage and can can the hockey coverage kind of like get to the NHL back to that level that we thought they would be but they haven't yet all right we'll leave it right there we'll have we have to take this 20 second time out stay tuned for more sports and more, more fun as the weekend edition of second city sports continues with big dave watson and from sb nation mr ricky aldonnell as we Review the first two games of the NBA Finals between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. And we'll preview game three. And we'll talk about Olympic basketball and the future of the Chicago Bulls. Along with Lakina McGee, I am Sidney Brown. We'll see and hear you on the flip side. Welcome back to the second half of the weekend edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style. 
along with Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter and the IG at CK80. Once again, at CK80. That's S I D K I D A zero. S I D K I D A zero. You can follow me at Kina McGee on the Twitter and at Kina McGee on the IG. You can catch the video version of this podcast, Second City Sports, which drops right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at WAR Media. The videos drop every Monday and Friday. Once again, videos drop every Monday and Friday right here on YouTube at War Media. You can catch the audio version of this podcast at War or Anchor. Once again, at War or Anchor, we're available on all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you type in those search engine boxes on those podcast platforms, W-A-R-R on Anchor. You can go to our website, weareregalradio.com for more details. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you very much for your support. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. And we are unapologetically fun, and we have very definite opinions. Dave, y'all think you know what I'm talking about when I do that, right? I don't know who you're speaking of. No, so I don't know. Oh, all my friends, he gave us some good times. Okay, I was just making sure. You know I know. Okay, okay. I was just making sure. You about to check my card, weren't you? You about to check my card. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was, Lakina. Lakina, you about to check my card, Lakina. You about to check my card. Right. Yes, he was. Oh, man. No, no, your card's your car still good. You, I appreciate it. Good. All right. I appreciate it. We all good. Yeah. We all good. <laughs> On that note, uh, as we kick off the second segment of Second City Sports, we're going to review the first two games of the NBA Finals the 2021 edition between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, the Suns are up two games to none. We are between, as of this recording, we are between games two and three. Game three will take place Sunday night on ABC at 7 o'clock p.m. Chicago time. Can Milwaukee get back in the series? Or so far, gone conclusion that the Phoenix Suns will win this title. For that and more basketball-related topics, we like to bring in our, our guest panel, First up, you heard his voice. He's a friend of the show making his uh, return. He's Big Dave Watson. Um, now the new co-host of the Locked on Bull podcast with another good friend of ours, Mr. Pat, Matt Peck. Here comes Big Dave Watson. Dave, welcome Yay. back to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yes, I'm very happy to be here uh, with you guys and Ricky. And, yeah, I'm, 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 I'll be out of loss of words when I'm thinking about doing lock, Locked On Bulls just because I'm really honored to just do that. I really am. So, yeah, it's really cool. I'm just happy to be doing it. I'm happy to be on it and hope I don't mess it up too much. And I'm going to be silly. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. Fans love you. Yeah, fans love you. You'll, you'll be fine. Uh, exactly. You. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Bow Sports, uh, B-A-W-L <laughs> Sports, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, you can follow our podcast, uh, Ball on Bulls, uh, on anywhere you get podcasts. We're there. If you got one on your microwave, just press play on podcast. I promise you will show up. So anywhere you <laughs> listen to podcasts, we're there. And like he mentioned, uh, also Locked on Bulls. Uh, I also host, co-host that with my man, Matt Peck. And you can obviously find that anywhere on uh, podcast mediums and your YouTube. You can find us there also. All right. And last but definitely not least, he covers uh, the world of basketball in the NBA in general for SB Nation. Here comes my man, Mr. Ricky O'Donnell. He's also the co-host of the uh, Cast Considerations podcast with Jason Pad. That's a very good podcast as well. Go check that out wherever you can download your podcast. Ricky, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Where can people find you on social media? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky, and everything I write is at SBNation.com on the NBA page, on the front page usually. So check me out there. All right, good stuff. Let's start off with reviewing the first two games of the NBA Finals between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's go to game one, which took place last Tuesday down the Valley of the Sun. The Suns defeated the Bucks 118 to 105. Of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you can say that name five times fast. He only scored 20 points. Uh, he, uh, he was injured again, but thank goodness it wasn't serious. Chris Paul uh, scored a game-high 32 points, grabbed four rebounds, dished out nine assists. Uh, the first game of any series uh, is a filling-out process. Watching that game, I felt that that way. Uh, Milwaukee, they battled back at the end, but Phoenix had too, had too much firepower for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, looking back at game one, uh, we'll start with you, Dave. What, what stood out to you in, in game one? Oh, man. Um, I, I, well, first of all, let me say, I, I did pick the Bucks to win this in six. Uh, I went okay. against my own mind because I cannot stand their coach. Uh, <laughs> on my nerves. Join the club! Um, I, I, didn't, I wanted him gone last year. I was kept, I was proud of him to be fired last year. I, I'm not a fan of Budahosa at all. But I went with them because I thought that the Bucks would have an answer for everything that Phoenix liked to do as far as position-wise. Uh, they had something that could, you know, be on those players and guard those players, and they don't have an answer for Giannis at all. Um, but as my partner uh, Chris always says, when your best player can't shoot a jump shot, you're in trouble. Uh, because in the NBA Finals, in the playoffs, it's going to come down to that mid-range game. So when you don't have that, you're going to be in trouble, especially Andy can't shoot free throws. He struggles with that too. I wasn't surprised that they lost game one. I thought that they would lose game one. I said, if Giannis plays, Phoenix is going to win. So it wasn't shocking to me that uh, Phoenix came out and played the way they did game one. Uh, I think we all were a little surprised at how Chris Paul came out, though. And we didn't think he would come out like that with that 30-point performance uh, that so early. We usually see that yeah. later in the playoffs from him. So the fact he came out early with that and kind of set the tone, you know, for this team, I think that was very good for Phoenix and let them know, like, yo, I, I'm going to give you one. Now you guys can ride me for the next couple because, you know, I'm give, he's going to get another one of those games. I'm telling you, he's going to have another one of those games. He's just too good not to. And he's well-rested. Um, he's had time off. And they ended those series very quickly. So, yeah, game one kind of went as I expected outside of Chris Paul uh, having that performance that early in game one Ricky Ricky your thoughts on game one yeah I think you know just right away Chris Paul putting his stamp on the series uh the thing that I was really curious about heading into this series was how is Milwaukee going to try to defend these Phoenix pick and rolls I think Phoenix has just been gashing teams with the pick and roll throughout the playoffs having two guys that can do it uh, with such great skill in Booker and CP3 is so hard to defend. We know that Milwaukee likes to play the drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. They've been doing that uh, over the last couple of years with great success. During this regular season, they experimented with more switching, more hard hedging, uh, basically trying to prepare themselves for the playoffs uh, while sacrificing some regular season wins and, and all that. So I thought that Milwaukee took a good long-term approach to get to this point. I think it definitely helped them reach the finals, uh, you know, as well as some good luck with KD's foot being on the line in the second round, uh, the potential game-winning shot. You need that, of course. But Milwaukee earned the right to get here, and they got here. And so I was curious to see, you know, what was Milwaukee's defense going to look like against 
this masterful Phoenix pick and roll. And I think, you know, what we saw in game one and really through the second game of the series too, is that the Suns are just so good at solving every problem. Like I want to give Budenholzer a little bit of credit because, you know, the, <laughs> the knock on him coming into the season and I was heavily critical of him was that he just never adjusted to what he was seeing on the floor. He just kept doing the same game plan over and over and over. You know, it's the definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing. You're going to get the same results. Well, this year they have actually made some adjustments. And I think, you know, particularly at the end of that Atlanta series, uh, he adjusted pretty well. So I do want to give Budenholzer a little bit of credit on that end. But uh, what I have seen through the first game and then through the through the second game as well is that Phoenix is just so good at solving every problem. Like no matter what mm-hmm. you do to them, Chris Paul has got an answer. You know, Booker just on pure talent is able to beat the defense with his shot making ability Aiton's been awesome, even though he uh, he struggled a bit in game two. And, you know, now Phoenix has lost a couple guys to injury. Yeah. With Dario Saric tearing his ACL, he was a key part of their bench rotation coming off the bench. And then Torrey Craig at certain game two. But, you know, Phoenix just always seems to have a solution for whatever adjustment teams make. And it's a testament to Chris Paul and to Booker and really Monty Williams, who's just done such an incredible job as head coach mm-hmm. of the Suns. Uh, very easily could have won coach of the year this year. He finished runner up to Tibbs just because of the Chris Paul effect more than anything else. But I think Monty has proven himself is an absolutely elite head coach during this playoff run. And he deserves plenty of credit for the Suns, you know, being two wins away from a title. Yeah, Sid and I have been kind of lobbying for Monty Williams to get a little bit more, more mm-hmm. love. And, you know, we saw what happened in, in game two. Let's talk about game two for a second. I mean, you know, Giannis needs help. Yeah, 42 points, but no, he got no help from anyone else. I mean, Holiday had 17, but that was probably it. I mean, Middleton, you know, he, he could have done more. And then just the balance scoring from the Suns. We saw this all year with them. Just, you know, you know, Booker got his points. CP3 got his points and assists. Aiton had a double-double. And, you know, Bridges had 27, you know, a playoff high for him. So, do you can the Suns sort of, you know, keep this up? Ricky, I'll start with you. Yeah. I mean, the Suns can keep it up. But I also think the Bucks have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, God, Giannis was just so damn good in game two. I mean, under different circumstances, that would go down as like a legendary Giannis performance. And the reality is that when you're deep in the playoffs, the superstar wears the wins and wears the losses on his back. But to me, watching that second game, only what, like 10 days after Giannis suffered that knee injury when it looked like he wasn't going to be able to play again the rest of the season. It's like, how could you possibly ask for anything more out of Giannis? Giannis was heroic on both ends of the floor. I thought he was simply incredible in that game. Uh, You know, you look at someone like DeAndre Ayton, first pick in the draft two years ago. Ayton, so big, so fast, so young, soft hands, getting, you know, better and better and better throughout this playoff Mm -hmm. run. Giannis has got to be the only guy in the league who can make Aiton look small and slow because Giannis just overpowered him at times, you know, quick spin move, like beating him with the speed, then beating him with the power. Just an unbelievable performance by Giannis, especially given the fact that uh, he's just coming off the injury. But man, the thing that jumps out to me about the Bucs, there's always so much, you know, where does the blame go with the Bucs? We're always playing this game and you have to, when you have someone like Giannis, you know, is it Giannis? Uh, his shortcomings, certainly, you know, he can't make a jump shot or a free throw. He deserves some criticism for that. You got Budenholzer, who deservedly has caught tons of uh, criticism over the last couple of years. 
even after turning the team into the squad that won the most games in the NBA each of the last two regular seasons, but he's had his playoff shortcomings. To me, what kills him is that Middleton runs so hot and cold. Middleton is, he goes from like prime Tracy McGrady one game to Tony <laughs> Snell the next game. Oh. Uh, he's like the ultimate trick or treat player. And it's wild because he's like sort of a fundamentally sound guy who's not like super flashy, but what he does rely on is tough shot making. And when Middleton's on, like he was at the end of that Bucks series or the end of the Hawks series, he's like absolutely impossible to defend because he's six eight. 40, 50, 90 shooter. I mean, he's really one of the better shooters in the league, but he doesn't get any easy buckets, right? Like he's not explosive enough to get to the basket and get easy buckets. So everything he hits is a tough shot. Well, we have seen in uh, the second game yesterday, game two, that Middleton was just ice cold and the Bucks do not have the depth and they do not have the supplemental scoring to survive when Middleton is struggling and then drew holiday man like watching the bucks the last couple of years in the playoffs i'm like just get eric bledsoe off this team <laughs> off the team everything is going to be fine i thought drew holiday was a major upgrade but drew holiday offensively has been doing his best eric bledsoe impression throughout these playoffs he is another guy who just doesn't get any easy buckets i swear to god he missed 10 layups yesterday <laughs> there were tough shots they were challenged at the rim but you know, those are shots you got to make in the playoffs. So I think Bledsoe, or uh, I'm sorry, Holiday has really been struggling offensively. Defensively, I think Drew Holiday has been super dope, actually. I think that he defended CP3 really well in game two. That was an adjustment Bud made. He's like, all right, you know what? We can't mess around with CP3 anymore. Holiday, stick him. He's your man. And I thought that Drew did a really good job. And Drew obviously had a great regular season. He's had a great career. But, dude, you got to give them something more offensively, especially when Milwaukee doesn't have much depth. Otherwise, they're basically relying on, like, Bobby Porter's or Britton Forbes to get hot. So, I guess, like, my takeaway from these first two games is that Phoenix is awesome, first of all. They basically check every box. And because of CP3, like, it seems like an easy formula, but, like, it's really hard to replicate because there's only one CP3 if you want to, like, make big copycat uh, takeaways from this series. But I do think Milwaukee has room for improvement. And Giannis is still the best player in the series. Giannis was awesome. Cannot say enough about his effort in game two. He needs some help. Middleton, you know, the fact that he was so bad in game two leads me to believe he's probably going to be awesome in game three. But Holiday, man, Holiday's got to give him something more than he has so far this series. I mean, he's taken way more shots than he scored points through the first two games of the finals. That's not going to cut it. So I do think the Bucs can get back into it. But uh, it's got to be Middleton and Holiday carrying him. Dave? Yeah, he's absolutely right. Uh, you're going to need the help of three. Uh, when you're trying to win the finals, I don't care what combination of three that you have, you're, you're going to have to have three. Um, as you see him with Phoenix, right, you know, you got your Chris Paul, you got your Booker, and you got Aiden. And actually yesterday it was more uh, Bridges than it was Aiden, you know, doing his thing. So they can hit you any kind of way. It's, it's really devastating and scary, you know, watching mm-hmm. them and how they move the basketball. That 10-pass sequence they had and with um, Aiton finishing with the dunk and the and one was one of the most demoralizing things I've seen in the playoffs all season long because mm-hmm. that was beautiful basketball and actually really good defense. And they still got the bucket and the and one. I mean, you just felt their level drop. You felt the Bucks level drop after that. So, yeah, that, that's hurtful. And, again, like Ricky said, a testament to uh, Monty Williams and CP3 and just their IQs out there. And, actually, their whole team IQ. So, I don't want to uh, take that away from them either. 
But man, in game two, we saw Giannis, you know, have the game and have that game that you have to have as a superstar. When you're a two-time MVP and the defensive player of the year, I expect you to get to the finals and have a game. Like, and honestly, win or lose, I'm not going to put that on you, but it can't be your fault is what I'm saying. I can't look at you and say, how come you didn't do something? How come you didn't do what you were supposed to do? No, he did what he was supposed to do. He actually was okay from the free throw line. He actually was hitting his jump shots. And when he was hitting spin turnarounds from the baseline, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that game today. 20 points in the third quarter. Hasn't been done since Michael Jordan in 93. Like, that's a serious thing. You know what I mean? So I was very proud of him. But, yeah, I mean, Ricky, I mean, you hit it on the head when you talk about Chris Middleton and not getting easy buckets. That is so true. Man, he is a great tough shot maker, but it's never easy. It's always somebody's hand in his face. He's, he's, he's like a, a higher scoring Luol Dang, you know, because Luol Dang always, he didn't have that same hand skill. You know, he didn't have that, you know, great get you to the bucket and finish and one kind of thing. And Middleton doesn't either, but Middleton is a better shooter. And that's what you're seeing. He's, you know, a better shooter than that. So that's honestly all you're seeing out there. I expect him to be better at home. I do. I expect the Bucks to be better at home. I think Middleton and Drew Holiday, after getting some home cooking, will look better in game three. With, um, and also, Bobby Portis, I think, is going to look better at home. I think he's just a better home player than he is on the road. And why wouldn't you be when people are chanting your name? Of course, you're going to feel a little bit better. <laughs> when it's like that. So I expect them to look better. Actually, I expect them to look better in games three and four. And I hope they come out and, and don't make me look too silly. And, <laughs> and you know, actually look a little bit better, man, because Giannis needs that help. He, I don't expect that kind of performance from him in game three because he really did leave it out there on the floor. He left everything out there on the floor, especially in that whole second half. I don't even remember. I think what he took, like a two-minute break or something like that. Yeah. He didn't he mm -hmm. too long. In, in that second half, man. And it was just amazing to see. So to, I don't expect him to duplicate it. It would be awesome if he did, but I don't expect it. So his teammates need to step up and provide him with some scoring punch. They beat the Suns in so many categories, you know, as a team in, in yesterday's game, in so many categories. It's ridiculous. But the one they can beat them in was scoring. Yep. You know, put the ball into them. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, we still have to do that, you know, because points in the paint, they were killing them, yep. but they couldn't shoot from the outside. Like, it was – and the Suns came in in game two hitting threes. That, that's really how it started. They were cold, too, but those three-point shots were hitting. Mm -hmm. Jay Crowder, Bridges, like, those guys were, were killing them with that. So, I, I don't expect all of that in game three, but I do expect the Bucks to be much better, man, and much tougher because they can't – they just simply can't go out like this. They can't. You're listening to Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I am Cindy Browns. We talk about the NBA Finals between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. Big Dave Watson and Ricky O'Donnell are here with us as part of our all-star panel. I'll start with you, Ricky, as we go back to the Phoenix Suns. DeAndre, and we forget before the shutdown last season, he was suspended 25 games for uh, using steroids. If it wasn't for that, maybe Phoenix would have made the playoffs last year. Of course, Chris Paul was with OKC. They almost pulled off the upset with the Rockets, but that was then. This is now. Talk to us about the impact of DeAndre Ayton. And do you think maybe this is me ask, silly asking this question, but maybe outside of Joel and B went healthy, do you think that DeAndre Ayton is the best big man in the NBA the way that he's playing right now in these playoffs? Mm. Well, I think Jokic is the best big man. Uh, okay. Jokic, you know, deserved the MVP. Incredible year. Totally changed. Of course, I agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But Aiden's awesome. And here's what I'll say. So, like, as part of my beat at SB Nation, I cover 
college basketball. And part of that is like recruiting, right? So DeAndre Ayton, I've been following him since he was 15, came over to the United States from the Bahamas, uh, ended up in, I think, San Diego, moved to Arizona. And from the time he was 15 years old, DeAndre Ayton was considered the best prospect in the United States for basketball, regardless of age. When he was a sophomore, you had like Jason Tatum was a senior and Harry Giles, uh, you know, some of these other guys, Malik Monk, who were highly touted prospects. DeAndre Ayton was considered better than all of them. He was just younger. And uh, so I've really watched his career from a young age, saw him in person on, a, on an AAU road trip when he was a rising senior and watched him at Arizona, of course, goes on to become the number one pick in the draft. So what I've really noticed about DeAndre Ayton's development from that early age is just how much more skilled and more disciplined he's become as a player. I think you certainly have to give a lot of credit to Monty Williams for helping him get there. We all saw the great clip uh, in the last game of Monty sort of coaching him up in that under eight timeout. DeAndre comes out, gets the steal, then gets an oop. Uh, so credit to Monty Williams. Obviously, you're a big man. Nothing better than playing with a great point guard, right? Playing with CP3 has certainly helped him. But I just want to give a lot of credit to DeAndre himself because that dude has gotten so much more disciplined and so much more focused. And he's really just grasped, I think, the nuances of the game, which was, to me, a question mark early in his career. So, you know, you see Aiton, and he's huge. Uh, big, strong, fast, soft hands, everything you want from center, really. And that's why he went number one overall. He just sort of has the attributes of like, you know, those great 90s dominant big men like Patrick Ewing, David Robinson. You see him and it's easy to like draw the comparison to those guys from yesteryear. Well, what I remember about Aiton at Arizona is that he was so lost on defense. Like it, he seemed like he should be a great defensive player, but it's also like really difficult to be a center defensively. You always have to cover up everyone else's mistakes. They're always trying to like, you know, pull you out of the paint with a shooter or run screens at you. And it's just a huge responsibility for a center to be the back line of the defense. And Aiton, early in his career, I thought really struggled with it. Now look what he did yesterday. He plays 42 minutes. He scores 10 points, I think, has like 12 rebounds. It was kind of, a, by his standards, sort of a bad game. But that dude was awesome defensively. And, you know, Giannis was coming at him the whole game. And Giannis is one of the few guys in the league that could make Aiton look like he's not a physical marvel. But Aiton never backed down. He went at him again and again. And even when Giannis was like, as Dave mentioned, hitting those ridiculous fadeaways from the post that we don't normally see from Giannis, I mean, he was only getting those shots because Aiton wasn't giving him anything easy, right? So to me, the development of Aiton has just been so awesome to see. Uh, still only 22 years old. I honestly didn't think he had this in him. I remember coming back in that draft, I was a big Luka guy. And I really thought that Jaron Jackson Jr., who, of course, was drafted by the Grizzlies, was the best center prospect. Now that take looks like trash. Aiton has been just phenomenal. And uh, Jaron was hurt this year. He's, you know, more of the perimeter-based guy, the shooter, not really a power player, not really a rebounder. But Aiton's physicality is just awesome. And he really plays his role and buys into his role so well. Like, I think there's it's easy to imagine another timeline where it's like, Aiton didn't go to a team with CP3 and because he's the number one pick, they're like trying to make him be the high usage scorer and they're feeding him the post-ups and they're saying, DeAndre, carry us to success. You're the guy. But instead, that's not really the case, right? He's just like a complimentary piece, even mm -hmm. though he was the number one pick. He plays his role really well. He doesn't try to force his own offense ever. He lets his guard set him up. 
And the key is that he rolls hard to the basket every single possession. The guy just attacks the rim, you know, sets a hard screen, rolls hard. And that is tough to do again and again and again and again, doing it every time down the floor. Sometimes you're just like, come on, man, let me pop out for a jump shot. Let me like take this one easy. But he gives full effort as a roller every single play. He's gotten so much better on defense. And I love it. He's so much fun to watch. As someone who's sort of monitors monitored his career from a young age i am just so impressed with the improvement he's made and uh it's been fantastic to watch him break out during these playoffs dave, dave your thoughts on on deandre Aiden? you know what's funny when i and again i'm not calling him this player by any stretch of the imagination okay but when i think of him i always think of hakeem olajuwon and in this sense when you think about that draft the, and you, you know, Jordan, Barkley, Stockton, all those guys, <laughs> you, you always say to yourself, well, who went number one? And then most people, you know, outside of the basketball world can't really tell you who went number one <laughs> in that. I think about Aiton when I think about how he came out in this draft. Because you're like, oh, Luca, Trey Young, you know, all these, Jared Jackson Jr. Yeah. Who went first? And you think about it and you're like, oh, man, I don't remember. And you remember Aiton was the one who went first. And if you look at Aiton's numbers, it – his, it, it wasn't impact, but his numbers have never really been bad, you right. know? But it, it's not his, just his play on the floor hasn't been just that impact player until this year when he got CP3 and things started clicking for him. You know, two plus two started equaling four instead of five. You know what I'm saying? Like, Chris Paul simplified it for him and made it simply easy for him to see him go out there and play. He's been just great to watch. And not only has he realized that, yo, man, I'm really good in this league and not just a regular play. I'm really good. He also now has a moment, okay, because now they call it the Valley Oop. He has a Ooh. moment that he can hold on to for the rest of his days, man. So now he has uh, cemented himself, you know, in Phoenix Suns' legacy because there's not a lot there. So now you've got this play. They'll automatically think of you every single time. I'm very happy for him. Because he's just a guy who I just felt always just went along and did his thing, and you didn't hear anything about him outside of uh, the steroid use. That was the first time, like, you ever heard something pop up about him. But outside of that, he was just always doing his job. You know, he was just trying to get better and needed the proper coach and the proper point guard to bring that out of him. You know what I'm saying? And again, like I said, I'm not comparing to Hakeem Olajuwon. You know, Hakeem, <laughs> Hakeem is my second favorite player of all time. I'm not comparing him to that at all. Yeah. But it just reminds you, like, those similarities. Like, Ricky talked about the soft hands, you know what I'm saying, and how he rolls to the basket and how he always kind of knows where to be on the offensive end. It, it reminds me like that of, of Hakeem, man. Like, he's, he's not scared. He realizes he's seven feet tall. I love seven-footers who realize they're seven feet tall. Like, the Bulls had a few that didn't realize they were seven feet tall. Shout out to Larry Martin. <laughs> but certain guys, he, knows, <laughs> he knows that he's big. He gets it. He was like, I get the ball. And when he gets it inside, it's, it's, it's kind of a throwback, uh, as Ricky mentioned, to the 90s kind of centers, you know, because we don't see that anymore. You know, so you won't see that kind of post play inside anymore. And when he's got moves when he gets inside, man, he hits you with that right side, he hits you with that left. It doesn't matter. And the hands are so soft that when it goes up on that rim, it's, it just kisses it and falls in. It's just awesome to watch center play because you haven't seen it in a while. You know, even Jokic is... It's not a traditional center play, but right. it's amazing to watch. You know what I'm saying? But it's not a traditional center. You know what I mean? Aiton is a traditional guy. You know, he's not coming out there to guard you on the three-point line like the old school centers are doing. You know, he's not even going out there to get a three-point shot. 
He's basically like, yo, I'm in this paint. Throw me this alley-oop or dump it down to me inside and let me go to work. That's beautiful to see. What did he have that first game? Almost like 20 rebounds or something like that. It was something ridiculous yeah. or something. Like, yeah, he's a big man's big man. And it's, it's something that people said was lost and you weren't really going to see again in this era. And he's kind of proven that wrong. So, it, but again, it came with the right point guard and the right yep. coach, but it is good to see, man. I'm, I'm happy he's doing this thing. Just imagine what a new coach and a new regime and a new, you know, you know, having a better like Chris Paul coming in to kind of help facilitate everything kind of makes a difference in the, in the guy's game, especially a big guy like Aiden. It's just, it's just incredible. So Dave, I'll start with you with this one. The Milwaukee supporting cast, like Giannis needs help. Like you guys have said, I mean, you know, Middleton's hot and cold, you know, Holiday's hot and cold, you know, Cod's at 14, you know, off the bench on, you know, in game two, but you just don't know what you're going to get from him <laughs> sometimes. And Bobby Porter's is Bobby Porter's. So what can the supporting cast do to help Giannis out? Because, like, it just seems like, you know, Giannis is sort of like a man, you know, by himself here at, at times. Uh, it's simple. Score. That's it. That's all they have to do <laughs> is score. They do everything else well. They defend well. They can rebound. They get points in the paint. You know, their IQ is high on the defensive end. Like, they do it all very well. All they have to do is put the ball into the basket. That's <laughs> what they need. And, and, and real quick, back to a point Ricky was making that I wanted to add on to was the pick and roll he was talking about, that Phoenix runs. It's brilliant to see because they're basically taking uh, Lopez out of the basketball game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can't play because the dude can't guard a pick and roll to save his life. But we always knew that. We already knew that about him, right? <laughs> but he's a scorer, okay? He can score. He can shoot a three. He can actually, you know, get buckets for you. But you can't – he's becoming unplayable, you know, on the defensive end. And you got to figure something else out, which is what they were trying to do, which is why they had Giannis running the five, you know, in game one and stuff like that, which is why you didn't see much of him and things like that. But they got to figure something else out. And I thought – the way to figure it out was to get Bobby Portis in there. And I don't know why. And make Ricky, honestly, you could, you could help me out with this. And if it's something you're seeing that I'm not, but I don't understand why Bobby Portis wasn't getting a lot of play playing time in those first two games. I know he got cooked by Chris Paul in game one on those pick and rolls. But again, everybody's <laughs> going to get cooked by Chris Paul on a pick and roll. If you're a big man, it's hard to guard. But I, I thought I would see more of Bobby Portis um, to kind of be that guy that, a better stabilizer uh, defensively than, than uh, uh, Lopez was as far as playing the pick and roll, just because of he's younger. That's it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying he's a better defender or anything like that. Just because he's a little younger and can move his feet a little quicker and a little better. Lopez definitely blocks the shots when you come down into the paint, you know, and do things like that. But that pick and roll is what they're running and they really can't do anything about it. So they got to try something else, man. So that's supporting cast. Yeah. They got to score. Like just put the ball in the bucket. Ricky. <laughs> And I agree with Dave. I mean, everyone's looking at Phoenix putting up 118 in both of these games and saying the defense is the problem. Yeah, to an extent, yeah. But, like, Phoenix also shot, like, 50% from three yesterday. Like, they were just on fire in game two from three. So, like, what are you going to do about that? But ultimately, I think it comes down to the Milwaukee offense. Like, there's, there's only so much you can do against CP3. And as Dave alluded to, like, you're kind of in, just in an unwinnable position. Now, I think Lopez has been awesome throughout the playoffs. I think, like, every year we look at Brooke Lopez and they're like, well, Lopez is going to get played off the floor. What are you going to do? But throughout these playoffs, like, Lopez has really been their second most consistent player. And then, you know, Middleton's been, like, trick-or-treat every game and Holiday usually stinks on offense but is really good on defense. Mm -hmm. So 
it's a tough position for them because they have no depth. Like, I can't believe I'm sitting here and being like, they miss Dante DiVincenzo, but oh like, gosh. they have no <laughs> They don't know what he got. And do you remember at this, like in the off season, right after they got Holiday, it looked like they were going to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they basically like sort of someone reported it before it actually happened. And then Bogdanovich is like, wait, I want more money than that. I'm not going to do that. So it wasn't like realistically <laughs> possible for them to get Bogdanovich, I don't think. But man, would he be perfect? Because they just need like another guard who can create their own shot. Mm-hmm. And for as like good as Holiday is, that's not really his game, right? Like Holiday isn't someone who's just going to like mash you in the pick and roll the way that CP and Booker can. He's more of like a guy who's going to pick his spots, be awesome on defense, hit some spot ups. Well, now he can't shoot in the playoffs for whatever reason. And he couldn't even make a layup in game two. But they just need offense. How are they going to find this offense? I mean, the easiest way is Giannis runs as fast as he can and tries to dunk. And that's an awesome play. And it works really well to the tune of 42 points on 22 field goal attempts or whatever it was last night. Mm -hmm. But we've seen it time and time again. I mean, teams are going to dare Giannis to shoot the three. They're going to play nine feet off him and just be like, hey, Giannis, if you want to take it, take it. And Giannis will take some of them because he's a prideful (laughs) guy and because he'll make some of them. You know, he he hits maybe like a little under 30%. Not pathetic. I mean, you know, Shaq couldn't hit 30%. And no one ever said that Shaq needed his outside game. Shaq needed more dribble crossovers. Uh, So Giannis (laughs) is a tough situation because (laughs) – he doesn't really have a guard who can fully unlock his game. Mm. And they put that burden on Middleton, who sometimes can do it just because he's such a sick shooter. And Holiday's just got to be better. I mean, Holiday is killing me. Watching this series, I'm like, Holiday, <laughs> you can't be Bledsoe. We've done the Bledsoe thing. you got to be better than Bledsoe. Uh, but I don't really know how they do it, to be honest. Like, I think that they just got to make shots. Holiday's got to make layups. Middleton's got to make threes. And then you got to hope that the Suns don't shoot 50% from three. Because when that happens, I mean, what the heck are you supposed to do? So uh, I don't have any brilliant answers for this. I think the Bucks' lack of depth really hurts them. They don't have a lot of options they can really go to in terms of, like, lineup changes. They kind of just got their four guys – Lopez, Milton, Holiday, Giannis, and you got to win with those four guys. They got them this far. Those guys got to be better. That's uh, that's as complicated as my analysis gets. <laughs> We're heading down the home. I'm sorry, please. Okay. We're heading down the home stretch of Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I'm Sydney Browns. We talk about the NBA Finals with Big Dave Watson and Ricky Aldano from SB Nation. Guys, before we move on to discuss the future plans for the Chicago Bulls, uh, one more player, uh, impact player in these finals, and that's Devin Booker. I'll start with you, David. He's been magnificent throughout these playoffs and definitely through these first two games of the finals. Uh, any other new words that you can uh, – Describe <laughs> Mr. Booker. Uh, we've heard all the superlatives throughout the season, yeah. throughout these playoffs. If you have any new words to describe this young man, go ahead. I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's nice. <laughs> he's, he's super nice. He <laughs> is nice. You know what I'm saying? He does his thing, man. Devin Booker has – I mean, you come off of scoring 70 points. You know, this is weird about this, this era of NBA uh, fan is I remember him scoring 70 points and people looked at it as a negative. And I'm like, dude, he scored 70. Like, yeah, but they lost the game. I'm like, 70. Like, like, what are we talking about here? Like, 
And they looked at all, you know, it's a ball hog catch. You know what I mean? They found negatives yeah. and hate yeah. within some kind of greatness like that. And it says a lot about him, man, because it didn't phase him or nothing like that. It just elevated and made his game better. I still remember the game when he shot, he hit in the bubble. That was awesome. Like, you just watch his game just elevate and grow and just get better to where you, you are now. Um, I didn't realize how much he draws fouls and how much he's looking for a foul when he's going in to score. Um, I'm sure the league's going to start looking at that and kind of cracking down on that, you know, as he gets a little, <laughs> you know, a little more, you know, into, the, into his years. I'm sure they'll look at that a little more. But as far as what's going on with him now, he's just been awesome, man. And the, the shots he's hitting. I mean, he's, the step back I saw him hit on Giannis, I mean, that was just disrespectful. And, again, <laughs> it was, it, again, it was demoralizing because the Bucks were kind of trying to make a run. And he got that rebound and, and walked it back out. You saw him walk it out. And then it hit the side step back that he learned from Chris Paul. I'm telling you, that's a Chris Paul move. And he stepped did that side step, fade away, fade away, hit that three right in his eye, put that lead right back up there. I mean, it's it's it can be depressing playing him against uh, another team, but he's just been great. He's been awesome to watch. I really hope it continues, man. He just continues to grow. Uh, I'm not with the you know saying he's the new Kobe Bryant. I'm I'm not. I'm definitely <laughs> not there uh, on his game yet, but. Dude is really nice, and any wonderful words you want to add to that, he deserves it. He's been great. Ricky? Yeah, I mean, when I watch Devin Booker in these playoffs, I just think of the parallels with Zach Levine, right? Like, mm. both of them were called empty calories scorers, as Dave said. Booker dropped 70 in a game, and everyone was, like, you know, criticizing him for it almost. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, there's just so many similarities. Like, both of them were really talented young scorers who – were on terrible teams who couldn't bring their bad teams to mediocrity and people were criticizing them for that right like if the Suns could have got to 500 with Devin Booker as their best player people would have viewed that as some big accomplishment same thing with Levine and the Bulls but what those guys really do is that when you add them to a team that's already pretty good then you add them and now it's like wow now we got a great team because those guys are just instant offense they're walking buckets and uh, you know, they, they just need some infrastructure around. Like it's every player isn't going to be LeBron who can just sort of like, or Giannis have such a huge imprint on both ends of the game in so many different facets. Those guys, Booker and Levine are superstars as scorers. And that's what they do. And I feel like for whatever reason, even though we all sort of like prioritize scoring more than everything else, it just wasn't enough for people. And I'm really happy that, you know, the Suns saw the opportunity to get CP3 and Aiton was able to turn into someone who looks worthy of being the first pick now for sure. It looks like an awesome young center. Mm -hmm. And it just put Booker in a position where it's like, all right, I finally got some help. I don't have to drag these bums on my back anymore. <laughs> and now you see like Booker's mid-range bag is so awesome. Like, I thought that Booker would become – his path to being a great NBA player would be to be an amazing three-point shooter. And he was amazing as a three-point shooter last night. I think he was 7-12 from three. But if you look at his three-point numbers throughout his career, like, this year he hit 34%. Last year he hit 35%. Like, he's not a super elite three-point shooter historically. But his mid-range game is just so hard to stop. He gets to his spots – He's stronger than he looks. He's like dis a little more deceptive uh, than he looks in terms of how he changes pace. Uh, and Booker, just he's he's awesome. I mean, there's there's really nothing more to say. And 
everyone who criticized him as an empty calorie scorer now looks like a total idiot because it just shows that like you just need some help and when you get some help those guys can take it to the next level so that's sort of my main takeaway from booker's playoff run yeah. all right <laughs> well let's talk some bulls for a second you guys uh ricky i'll start with you the Bulls, unfortunately, of course, they didn't get that pick, that top four pick from Orlando from that trade, the Vucevic trade. So I'll get over it. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I know, right? You know, well, you know how some, you guys know, you all know how Bulls fans are. I mean, that's yeah. just, it's just, uh, it's just absurd. But what can the Bulls do? You know, what can AK and Eversley do? Mark Eversley, I should, you know, I should say, do to kind of be creative to sort of like, if they can do anything to kind of make any like really big moves, you know, this off season. Yeah, I think. Vucevic trade, you know, maybe they, I think they probably overpaid for him a little bit, but Vucevic is really good. Like watching Vucevic since he came over for the trade, the dude is awesome. And I'm going to try to make my Bulls sons parallel here, right? Like the Booker Levine comparison is pretty obvious. And, you know, Vucevic and Aiton, obviously Aiton's so much younger and Aiton has improved so much defensively, but they do have some similarities. Uh, they're both sort of unstoppable one-on-one -on, -one on the block. There's just not a lot of guys who can like defend Vooch or Aiton when they get the ball in low. And I think that you've seen in these playoffs that like just having a big man who can get you a bucket, that's really important. Vucevic turned into a really good three-point shooter. Aiton doesn't have that in his bag yet. And Vucevic also turned into a great passer. Uh, Aiton, better defensive player. So, you know, I think that trade, getting Vucevic, cashing in some assets, to get uh, re another reliably good player. I think that's going to prove to be a good move for the Bulls. Uh, I was really surprised by how skilled Vucevic is as a passer. I think that was the one area of his game I didn't realize he was that good in. But yeah, I mean, he was, he's not Jokic level, but he's like, you know, a step, a step and a half below that. He's, he's really good as a facilitator. And I think that that can take some of the passing and playmaking and traditional point guard duties that can take that off Zach's hands, Kobe's hands, whoever else they're going to bring in this summer to be a point guard. Uh, you look at the bulls now and it's like, all right, you need wings. They have no wings. Mm -hmm. So you need like two wings at minimum to just be like three and D guys, you know, Jay Crowder free agent last year comes in, plays his role, stretches the floor, hits catch and shoot jumpers, good defensively. Someone like that would have been really good for this iteration of the bulls. So they need to find some wings. And then they really just need another high-end, talented piece. I mean, it sounds easy to say, but like when you get the second star, you're immediately thinking like, well, who's the third star going to be? And everyone always gets concerned about the fit, and I get that. I would too. But just give me someone who's talented, man. I just want another high-end, talented piece on this roster. Uh, they might need to make a baby step towards that in this offseason because they don't have a ton of flexibility. But even if they could get, like, I don't know if it's possible, Kyle Lowry or Mike Connolly, just, like, a solid veteran, give me a two-year deal with one of those guys, if possible, I think would be a nice move for them. I'd like Lonzo. That would require more of a long-term deal, but I think he'd be a good connecting piece between Vooch and Levine. And what's so interesting about this offseason is, like, we didn't see that Vucevic trade coming, right? Like, nobody reported that. There was no smoke on that. There was just a fire immediately, and they had Vucevic, and everyone was like, wow, what a crazy move. And then the same thing with the second move, when they traded Dave's guy, Gafford, and they bring in Daniel Tice, and they trade Chandler <laughs> Hutchison, and they get 
Troy Brown. No one heard about that move either. They basically traded half the roster in the middle of the season. So <laughs> yeah. I want them to do that again. Just There's so many guys who are zeros on the back end of this roster. Don't want to see Denzel. Don't want to see Archie. I mean, Felicio, that's like charity, like giving that guy. Turn over the roster. Give me some new guys. And yeah, I don't know if they're going to be able to make like their super big move up the standings this year. Obviously, I'd love them to, but their flexibility is a little limited. I would just like to see them continue to improve the talent base of the roster and try to put yourself in position to make that big move down the line. Whoever that third star is going to be, I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, yeah, they don't have a lot of easy answers this offseason. They do have a lot of holes to fill, and I just want to see them shake it up because I was so sick of watching the same same guys have the same mistake <laughs> they had the last couple of years. Freeze. Blow the roster up. I like the Vooch move, even though they might have overpaid a little. Let's see what Pat can do in year two. He's still going to be very young, and I feel great about Levine. After watching these playoffs, it's like Levine's the kind of guy you need in the playoffs. And you can only prove it in the playoffs, right? Like Booker never could have ascended to this level in the regular season, no matter how many points he scored. Got to do it in the playoffs. So I think Zach is made for that. And let's get him there. Let's get him some help, some better infrastructure. And I'm really excited to see what what they're going to do. Dave. Very true. Um, so many things I'm so, I'm so happy you said. <laughs> <I'm serious. laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, the Bulls, the... I'm tired of watching trash. So, yeah, they definitely need an overhaul. And there's a lot of just people here on the team. You know, there's no star. There's no guy who you're like, oh, I know what he can do. I know where his fit is. It's a lot. It was a lot of what ifs and oh no's on this team. And I don't want to see that again. So we're going to I expect to see a lot of it gone. Like I expect Lowry to be gone, even though he was my guy for years. But this year was my last year of support for him. And when I didn't see it, I was like, okay, we're done. It's all right. You, you can get out of here. It's okay. Because when you get benched for Daniel Dice, man, and we're like, yeah, that's a good move, it's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's an issue. You should never be benched for him. You're way – you're supposed to be way better than that. So he's going to be out of here because he's going to get paid. He's, he's going to get his money, you know. <laughs> um, of course <laughs> – sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, of course, Denzel. Bring back Daniel Tice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not mad at that. I'm, he's going to cost yeah. you though, and that's that's going to be an issue. You know what I mean? That might be an issue because he's going to command some money. That's that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, Valentine out of here. I don't want to see Archie again unless it's the fourth quarter with like 30 point lead or 30 point loss. That's the only time I need to see him. Uh, Felicio, I'm, I'm mad I even mentioned his name, and I'm just <laughs> glad that now we have an actual All Star to go with Zach Levine because I remember before they made the trade, all Bulls fans were complaining about was please make a trade, make a trade, do something. I'm going to lose my mind. If you don't make a trade, okay, we're going to make a trade and get an all-star center and, and he's going to be great with us. Oh, you guys, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, wow, I don't like this. Who is this guy? He's in Orlando. We don't like him. It's, you're just not going to be pleasing to, you know, Bulls fans. Vooch is really, really, truly good. And, I heard AK actually echo what Ricky said about his passing because they were talking about, you know, the need for point guard. And he was like, well, yeah, I know it's a need like that. He was like, but we can play with that one. That's why we got Vooch and his passing ability. I know what he can do for us. So I, I'm excited going forward. And you guys know me. I'm, I'm all faith in on AK and Mark Eversley. Whatever they want to do, I'm completely with it. 
they're definitely pieces they need. My, they need my favorite position, which is point guard. Um, I was talked into uh, Mike Conley by C-Red Fred. He, he made excellent points as to why the Bulls should have a player like Mike Conley. I am with that now. Um, yeah, you're right, Kyle Lowry. Yep, with that. Lonzo, cool. You want to get him? Great. Um, the two other ones that are lower tiered, uh, like Dinwiddie and Devontae Graham, you know, guys like that. I've always been a Devontae Graham fam, uh, fan. Uh, I've always liked him a lot. Um, his, his only issue is he's just on the wrong team <laughs> right now. That's it. There's nothing else wrong with him except there's somebody better than him ahead of him. That's it. That's his only issue, uh, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, that, you got to look at all those guys and all those prospects. But I hope they swing for the fence and just disrupt everything again. I really do. I don't care about this fit that everybody keeps talking about because the fit, I'm looking at the team like, yeah, they, okay, nice fit. You didn't make the playoffs again. Like, wonderful. I don't care about that. Give me a star in here. You know, let me get something here that's tangible that I can say, yes, you're good. And I know you're going to be good when you go out there and play every night. Thank you. Go with Zach, go with Vooch, and go do your thing. I'm very high on Patrick Williams. I think he's going to be awesome because also this team, what I think this team USA is going to do for Zach is also going to do kind of for Patrick Williams, just being around that kind of great elite players and knowing that you're even in the same room with them is really great. Just having a seat at the table as a rookie is really great. And I heard Eric Spolster just raving about uh, Patrick Williams, especially about his size, you know, and how big he is. And they're like, man, combine that with the skill that we think you might have, you got yourself a basketball player, you know, so that he might be that help at that wing position. Um, Cause I know he can play the two, he played the two to three or the four. He's more comfortable at the four, I think, but he can play those positions. Um, I, what team USA is also doing for Zach is Zach has never been involved with winning in his pro career in the NBA. Never. He's never won four games in a row ever. He's never had like, Oh, he hasn't had a winning season since he's been here ever. Like it hasn't happened. He doesn't know what it feels like. So for him to know, that he's good enough and to know what winning feels like will do something for him. And I think back to guys like Jimmy Butler, when they came back from team USA, he was, he was a completely different player when he came back, he was a different monster. Cause I think he saw that, Oh, I belong here. Oh, these guys like my game. Oh man, I'm this good. You know, it's one thing when somebody's telling you, and then it's another thing when somebody's inviting you, you know what I mean? Like it's a whole different monster. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad this is happening for Zach. Uh, I definitely have high hopes going into uh, um, going into training camp for the Chicago Bulls just because I have Vooch and I know how bad Vooch wants to be great. Like we just read his article in The Athletic with Darnell Mayberry talking about it. Um, and I know Zach obviously wants to be great. You know, Patrick Williams wants to be great. Uh, the Kobe injury was definitely a setback. Uh, but you know, he wants to be uh, great also. So, and, and I got Billy Donovan. And I got a coach. Thank God. Like, I'm very excited about <laughs> I don't have to worry about, oh, uh -huh. <laughs> competence you know how much i cried about competency for these past few years oh god I, and i don't feel myself crying about that anymore so all my faith and all my trust is in ak and mark eversley about what they want to do and what they want to bring in i honestly wasn't even thinking about wings until ricky said it and that's he's absolutely right again and but i'm more i was more looking at the point guard position because i know that is the immediate need and it's been the immediate need for the past year or two so I just want to get that handled. 
Let's get some ball players in here, man. And let's just get excited about the Bulls again, please. <laughs> Second City Sports, along with Lakina McGee, I'm Sydney Brown, as we joined by Big Dave Watson and Ricky O'Donnell uh, as we close out on this program. Um, Dave, Big Dave kind of stole my last question, but I'll ask it anyway to you, Ricky. I know you got it. we all got a boogie, but um, yes. what do you expect from Zach Levine and Team USA? And how much recruiting do you think he's going to do to hopefully try to get a, a superstar mm-hmm. in here to, to make the Bulls a, a, a big team just like the Phoenix Suns this year? Yeah, well, the recruiting goes both ways. So I hope he doesn't get recruited somewhere else. Okay. Last year of his true, right? Okay, that's true, too. I am excited for him to, like Dave said, I mean, such a great point. He's never won four games in his career. I forgot that. I'm going to be stealing that stat from you, Dave. No, oh, please do. Everybody has. <laughs> please, for everybody to use. Line. It was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great for Zach because, you know, a year ago, he didn't even get invited to the mini camp. And Bulls fans were like, what the hell? And I think Levine's like, put some respect on my name a little bit. So now he's got it after, you know, he sort of had a breakout year this past season. Uh, I don't really expect him to play a ton just because they have a lot of other bucket getters on that team. They got Booker, they got Beal. Those are two guys in a similar vein of Levine. But, you know, like Booker and Middleton and Holiday might all be gassed coming off this finals Mm -hmm. to go play for Team USA. So maybe they will need Levine. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because that USA roster, man, they got no playmakers. They It's Mm -hmm. all bucket guys, right? Like they don't really have – your traditional facilitator. So I'm very interested to see. I mean, they're definitely the favorites and they should absolutely win. There's no excuses, but you know, they might get pushed. They might get challenged. That could be fun to see uh, if they get a close game or two in here. So yeah, really excited for Zach happy for him. And I think that it just sort of shows that he's established himself now with the all-star birth, with the Olympic birth that like he's someone you have to take seriously when you, do your player rankings or when you, you know, consider where the Bulls go from here. Zach's the cornerstone. He's the foundational piece. So really happy for him to finally, you know, get that respect that he deserves. Yeah, everybody um, that I see Zach Levine playing with, I think is coming to the Bulls now. So <laughs> I'm just excited. Like when I see Kevin Durant, I'm like, yep, we got Kevin Durant now, you know. Like, and it's, it's fun to be that way right now. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's good about this. Um, Ricky's right. It works both ways. He's absolutely true. Like Zach could be getting talked to just as much as he's doing some talking. Um, but it's just the fact that he has a seat at the table, which is very good. And we haven't had that for the past couple of years. So that's why him getting to the all-star game was big. And that's why him being with the Olympic team is big. Just having a seat at the table, being with the NBA elite and being able to have their ear and their eye says a lot. And it's awesome that Zach Levine, is that guy representing the Chicago Bulls. And I hope he can, you know, just have some words for somebody. You know, Damian Lillard, when you ain't doing nothing, it's okay. Come on, baby, you ain't doing nothing. (laughs) This has been so much fun. Thank you to both Ricky O'Donnell and Big Dave Watson here on Second City Sports with our NBA playoff panel. We got to do this again. You can follow Ricky, Ricky O'Donnell at SB underscore Ricky. You can read his articles on SB Nation. And what's your podcast again, Ricky? Cash Considerations. Cash Considerations. It's a great podcast, so make sure you guys check that out. Also, to Big Dave Watson for Bow, Bow on Sports. <laughs> bow on <laughs> Bulls and the Bow on Sports podcast. Also, too, you can check him out on Lockdown Bulls with our buddy Matthew Peck on the Lockdown Network. Uh, Dave, did I get everything? Uh, I think so. Oh, I host a show on YouTube called Open Gym Sports and Culture. 
uh, yeah, that's when we just talk about sports and culture. I do that as well. So, <laughs> you can and I'm a pretty good on the barbecue grill. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you can follow him at, at B A W L Sports at Ball Sports. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. We gotta do this again. You know, probably maybe perhaps before the NBA draft. So this has been so much fun, guys. You know, you guys stay safe. You know, you know, you know, be great. And you know, thank you guys so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I gave I gave to me on uh the eat. I gave it to this late night patty. All right, another fun-filled episode in the books, Lakina, on the weekend edition of Second City Sports. This is why we do what we do because if you didn't enjoy that, a whole segment full of fun information, just overall entertainment. I don't know what to tell you. I, it, it, it's 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 great so it's, it was great to be back you know getting back in the groove doing this after mm-hmm. being off so look a lot of great yeah. sports of course you got the playoffs you got the euro euro finals between italy and england that should be a fun one so you know that you know and also wimbledon too the, the women's and men's you know final mm-hmm. too going on this weekend so you know, lots of great sports coming up so you can make sure you guys check it out you follow and me. also too Okay. Uh, real quickly, Kenny, also speaking of Team USA, for those of you listening in our audio oh, version, yeah. To, yeah, tonight on NBCSN at 7 p.m. Chicago time, yes. USA basketball, the men's team will play an exhibition against Nigeria. So Zach Levine will see sometime because, of course, Devin Booker and Chris Milton are in the NBA finals. They won't be there. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we'll see what Zach Levine does for Team USA. I'm looking, looking forward to the exhibition tonight. Definitely check that out tonight. You know, this should be a lot of fun with Team USA. So on that note, you follow me at Keenan McGee on the Twitter and at Keenan underscore McGee on the IG. You can follow yours truly, Sydney Brown, on the Twitter and the IG at CK80. Once again, at CK80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. You can follow this podcast, Second City Sports, right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media. You want to get a sneak peek on our audio version? The video versions go up first every Monday and Friday. Once again, videos drop every Monday and Friday right here on YouTube. Our audio version is available every Tuesday and Saturday at War on Anchor. Once again, every Tuesday and Saturday at War on Anchor. We're available on all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you type in those search engine boxes. W-A-R-R on Anchor. You, you can go to our website, weareregalradio.com. For more details, that's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L radio.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and right here on YouTube at War Media. Once again, at W-A-R-R Media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you very much for your continued support. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. Yes. And we'd like to thank our guests once again, Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation and Big Dave Watson from um, the new co-host on Locked on Bulls podcast and the Ball on Bulls podcast. You can check out his other podcast with dealing with sports and culture right here on YouTube, as he mentioned before he headed out. So, Lakina, I'm about to enjoy this weekend. I'll see you on the next episode for Tuesday. All right. You know, have a, you know, stay safe, you know, wash your mm-hmm. hands, you know, be safe, everybody, keep your distance and whatever, get vaccinated if you want. So all that good stuff. So for Sid, I'm Lakian. This has been Second City Sports Zoom style, and we'll see you next week. Till next time. Holla! <laughs>